here's the thing. Ever wonder why aspiring authors spend so much time trying to crack the code about how to get published? That's because no one who's in the daily grind like me has put all the pieces together in one place. It's Carly Waters here, and as your senior literary agent on the podcast with 15 years of experience in publishing, selling books, and teaching the business of publishing, I'm here to give you the clarity that will turn this hobby into a career. Inside my course, The Author's Publishing Playbook, we have monthly live Q&A sessions to cover your specific issues, but for the rest, there are over 40 video lessons that equal 10 hours of learning with professionally edited transcripts. The course will solve all your writerly problems, except write your book for you. That's on you. My course is a masterclass designed to teach writers how to prepare, pitch, publish, and promote their book in today's competitive publishing landscape. It's for career-driven writers, aspiring and published, who want to understand how to succeed in the business of books. There are over 20 worksheets, downloads, and plug-and-play templates for editing, querying, and marketing. You get lifetime access for the entire six-module course as soon as you purchase. As new content's added, you have access to that as well. Don't forget, there's a mobile app on top of computer access you can learn on the go. Get started today to gain the career you've only dreamed about. And you guys get a discount. So at checkout, carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. That's carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. See you inside the course. Hi, everyone. This is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there. there and welcome to our show, The Shit No One Tells You About Writing. I'm Bianca Murray and I'm joined by Carly Waters and Cece Lira from PS Literary Agency. This is a special bonus episode for those of you who listened to the Caroline Kepnes episode and heard me talk about how I got my cat from a serial killer and who then reached out to ask for more details. This is an essay I wrote a while back. The brilliant Catherine McEwen, who is an English actress, screenwriter and film producer, narrated the essay and the incredibly talented singer and songwriter Daphne Willis composed the music for it. Now anyone who's attended any of my courses knows I love to kick them off with Daphne's awesome song Work For It, which is what I always listen to in order to get myself pumped for writing. So please go and find Daphne's music wherever you listen to your music. And those of you who've listened to the audiobooks for my first two novels, Hum If You Don't Know The Words, and If You Want To Make God Laugh, will recognize Catherine's lovely voice from those. 
The art that we're sharing for this episode was created by South African Manuela Gray. Thank you so much to these three amazing women for lending me their considerable talent and for being kind enough to let me play this on the podcast. I noticed the kitten weeks before the first girl's body was found. It was such a tiny creature, half starved and without any protection in the world, which is how I imagined the young girl when I heard of her murder. I didn't read about it in a newspaper. The death of another black girl in a township wasn't considered newsworthy, but there were rumours swirling in the nearby squatter camp that she'd been just 12 years old. People said her family was desperately poor, like all the families who lived in the shanty town that had no access to running water or electricity, and that she told the last person who'd seen her alive that she was excited because she'd been offered help with food and money. The next day, a stranger, taking a shortcut through a field, stumbled upon her body. She was half-naked. Her throat had been slit. It was 2007, and I was volunteering in Soweto with a non-profit organization that had expanded their operations to focus on home-based care in the townships. Due to the AIDS pandemic, there was a whole missing generation aged between 20 and 50 years old who'd passed away and left their children to the care of elderly grandmothers. The Gogos, as Zulu grandmothers are called, were barely surviving on their state pensions, which didn't extend to the care of HIV-positive orphans, and so it started an income generation and skills development project to assist them. All we needed were suitable premises in Soweto to run the project from. The church has these spare rooms they've offered us, said Macy, the head of home-based care, as she showed me around a property near the Orlando power station. The building lay in the shadows of the huge cooling towers that were no longer operational, but being repurposed as a bungee-jumping attraction for tourists who wanted more of a thrill than visiting Nelson Mandela's house in Villacazi Street. It was difficult to get to by car, and I thought I'd bust my oil sump as we jostled over deep ruts that had been carved through the sand by runoff rainwater. Luckily, the women would all be coming on foot, so would find the journey less harrowing than I had. What program does the church run here? I asked, seeing a few men milling about. Macy paused before replying. They do outreach to rehabilitate ex-convicts. I flinched. Don't worry, Macy said. The church has assured me that they are harmless. They have all found the Lord and now just need help finding their feet and integrating back into the community. They will be kept separate from the grannies. We will be safe. Macy was a religious woman who believed in second chances. I trusted her judgment. Besides, the building had electricity and we'd have access to a kitchen and bathrooms, 
we wouldn't find anything nearly as suitable or affordable in the area, and so we thanked the church and accepted their offer. It was as we were moving all our equipment into the building a few weeks later that I saw the kitten for the second time. She was huddled in a storm drain with two others, both black, which didn't bode well for their survival. Many people in Soweto believe that black cats are evil spirits, which is why most of them are killed. I silently wished them well in that hostile environment and thought her lucky for being born white instead. Like me, she'd fare better in the country because of it. The program got off to a great start. Sewing machines were donated and experienced seamstresses volunteered their time to give the Gogos lessons. We raised enough money to fund feeding them lunch, and even though it was the only meal most of them would get that day, they'd still pack it up and take it home for the children. Their spirits were rising along with their prospects. They had a sense of purpose and were slowly gaining confidence in their own skills. They were not only generating an income, but hope as well. They were able to share their similar burdens, their struggles, their grief. They supported each other and dared to lay down their despair for a more promising future for their families. Then... One day, as I was sitting talking with them, a hulking figure filled the doorway, blocking out most of the light. Since the ex-convicts never came to our side of the property, his presence made me nervous. He spoke to a care worker in Zulu, and then left. Who was that? That's Dumesani. The church has hired him as a caretaker, Leratu said to me. She was giggling over how handsome and well-built he was. We just registered my youngest kid for kindergarten. I cannot believe it. One of the tricky things about my kids being in French immersion school and not having French as a language myself is I'm honestly worried about how I'm going to assist with homework as they get bigger. They're young now, but I see it coming. We are honestly so lucky, though, to live in a city that's bilingual and we have bilingual friends and francophone friends. So I know it's going to be easy for our kids to pick it up. Me, on the other hand, I am worried about me. I grew up somewhere where French class was not taken seriously, and now I have to make up the difference. And that's where Rosetta Stone comes in. As the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app, it really immerses you in the language you want to learn. Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion, which is a proven way to learn a language. Instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals, reading stories, participating in dialogues, and other practical language skills to fast track your ability to communicate fluently. There are no English translations in the product. You're honestly getting trained to listen, speak, read, write, and think in your new language, which is what everybody wants. Rosetta Stone users especially love the speech recognition feature. As you practice speaking, Rosetta Stone uses advanced voice recognition technology to match your audio, the audio from native speakers, and then give you feedback on how well you're pronunciating the words so you can really hone those pronunciations. It offers 25 languages from Spanish, French, Italian, German, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, even Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. This is the best language program because they have been an expert in the language learning field for 30 years and used by millions. Thousands of companies and government organizations use Rosetta Stone to support language training online. Of all the apps, Rosetta Stone uses the best speech recognition technology, so it compares your sound waves to those of a native speaker for better feedback to improve. They have a patented speech recognition engine called True Accent, which is built into the program. As you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. 
The other language learning apps use speech recognition to detect what you said, but Rosetta Stone tells you how well you said it compared to native speakers. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Think about the cost of a one month language course. Think about the cost of one hour private tutoring sessions. With Rosetta Stone, you enjoy lifetime membership and accessibility on desktop or app. We have a special offer for you guys. That's 50% off. That's a lifetime access to 25 language courses on Rosetta Stone for 50% off. This is a steal. Do not put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the shit no one tells you about writing listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That We want you guys to go visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Are you looking for beta readers, some of whom might potentially become writing group members down the line? Are you wanting to be matched up with those writing in a similar genre or time zone so they can critique your work as you critique theirs at the same time? Your manuscript doesn't have to be complete to sign up for this 3,000 word evaluation. This particular matchup will be open to registrations from now until the 2nd of June with the matchup emails going out on the 3rd of June. For more information and to register, go to biancamaray.com, look for the beta reader matchup page and please spread the word the more writers we have signed up the better the matches will be and the gogos teased her in hushed tones about becoming his girlfriend he introduced himself to me later that day and insisted i call him by his english name jonathan at first he was polite and charming often assisting me with carrying heavier donations into the building or moving furniture around One day I noticed the feral kitten trailing behind him, puppy-like in her devotion. I inquired about it, and Jonathan said he'd adopted her, which explained why she'd filled out significantly and gained more confidence around humans. When he sat on a chair outside his room, she'd hop onto his lap, and he'd absent-mindedly stroke her, her tiny head disappearing beneath his huge palms. It wasn't long, though before the cracks began to show, and it became clear that Jonathan could no longer maintain his facade. He started ordering the women around. When they wouldn't stand for it or do what he instructed them, he became aggressive and threatening. After a care worker relayed the latest run-in with him one day, she added, He doesn't like women, that one. He is threatened by them. Considering we were all women, care workers, clients and volunteers, working in an isolated building, her assessment chilled me, and I encouraged Macy to talk to the church about him. She did, and was told that even though he was also an ex-convict, he'd found God, and was committed to turning his life around. Since he regularly attended the church's services and spoke eloquently to the congregation of being born again and of how the church had saved him, they suggested we were being overly sensitive and had simply misunderstood him. When word got back to Jonathan that we'd complained, he became even more aggressive. I asked the women and volunteers to stay away from him and not engage in any kind of conversation that could lead to conflict. All teasing about him had ceased. Now the whispers were words of caution. By then, the killer had struck twice again. Two girls, 
aged 17 and 18, had been raped and murdered, and then dumped in a field about a mile from where we operated. The kitten's black siblings had disappeared as well, and I tried not to dwell on how careless the world could be with some of its creatures, the ones who were deemed disposable or ill-fated through an accident of birth. And then, all at once, the luck of those creatures changed. The fourth victim lived. On the 21st of October 2007, 17-year-old Toteka Lubobo was brutally raped and had her throat slit open. Unbeknownst to her killer, she was still alive when he dumped her in the same field as the other girls. She played dead until he left and then crawled for what must have felt like an eternity to get to the nearest street to flag someone down. Unable to speak due to her vocal cords having been cut, Toteka communicated with the police with hand signals and notes. She resisted pain medication so she could remain clear-headed to assist with compiling an identikit of her attacker. Using aerial photographs the police showed her, Toteka pinpointed exactly where he'd lured her to with promises of helping her fill out application forms for financial assistance to apply to university. She would be the first member of her family to finish high school, and it was her dream to become a pharmacist. Four days after her attack, as the Gogos were sewing a range of children's pyjamas, they heard what sounded like a helicopter hovering overhead and rushed outside to investigate. Just then, a swarm of police cars descended and surrounded the building. Jonathan exited his room, and the Gogos watched as he was arrested and charged with being the Orlando serial killer. We were told Jonathan confessed to everything. He said he'd killed the girls because he hated women. His wife and daughter had abandoned him while he'd been in prison earlier, and he was exacting his revenge as a result. When he found out the fourth victim was still alive and could identify him, he hung himself in his cell. The church, when they found out, insisted Jonathan had been framed for the murders and then killed by the police to hide the cover-up. They said that even though they knew he'd been sentenced to 25 years' imprisonment for attempted murder and rape, he was fully rehabilitated and had been granted God's mercy when he'd been born again. Even his Zulu name, Dumisani, meant in praise of God, and that was all they needed to know. Lacking the church's capacity for denial, I blamed myself for not listening to my gut instinct. If I'd trusted that inner voice and reported Jonathan, those girls might still have been alive. After the police cleared out his room for evidence, including his one dumbbell that he used as a weapon against Toteka, all that remained was the kitten. Her options looked bleak. If black cats are considered possessed, then the cat of a serial killer and rapist is especially evil. She seemed to sense her dwindling luck because she clawed her way up my jeans and wrapped herself around my neck. She clung onto me as tenaciously as Toteka had clung to life, 
though she died three weeks after her attack. I hadn't been able to save those girls, but I realized I could save the kitten. It was such a small thing in the ultimate scheme of things, but it was all I could do. For her, it was enough. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you'll join us for next week's show. In the meantime, keep at it. Remember, it just takes one yes. Here's the thing. Ever wonder why aspiring authors spend so much time trying to crack the code about how to get published? That's because no one who's in the daily grind like me has put all the pieces together in one place. It's Carly Waters here, and as your senior literary agent on the podcast with 15 years of experience in publishing, selling books, and teaching the business of publishing, I'm here to give you the clarity that will turn this hobby into a career. Inside my course, The Author's Publishing Playbook, we have monthly live Q&A sessions to cover your specific issues, but for the rest, there are over 40 video lessons that equal 10 hours of learning with professionally edited transcripts. The course will solve all your writerly problems, except write your book for you. That's on you. My course is a masterclass designed to teach writers how to prepare, pitch, publish, and promote their book in today's competitive publishing landscape. It's for career-driven writers, aspiring and published, who want to understand how to succeed in the business of books. There are over 20 worksheets, downloads, and plug-and-play templates for editing, querying, and marketing. You get lifetime access for the entire six-module course as soon as you purchase. As new content gets added, you have access to that as well. Don't forget, there's a mobile app on top of computer access you can learn on the go. Get started today to gain the career you've only dreamed about. And you guys get a discount. So at checkout, carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. That's carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. See you inside the course. Hi, everyone. This is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there.